Hello everyone. Um, welcome to the American Business Council podcast, uh, The Business Exchange, How Business Works. The Business Exchange is a podcast where we have experts come share issues about critical areas um, in the economy or different sectors. Um, and and they, they also give us insights into how uh, these sectors work. My name is Margaret O'Leary and I'm your host for the podcast. Today we have a very um, interesting uh, guest. Um, our guest today is Bukola Bolarinwa. Buki is, so So before we go into who Buki is, I think uh, we need to mention that this month um, we, we, we celebrated well, I don't know if I can call it celebrate, but we marked uh, a very, very uh, critical health day. And that's the sickle cell day that um, occurred on the 19th of June. So um, I'm not going to tell you about my own surgeon through the sickle cell um, project, but all to, to suffice to say that at some point um, in my past life, um i i got um interested in the work of the um of sickle cell in nigeria the interest began you know with 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 the fact that um there were issues around policies and guidelines that i felt we needed to have um to to drive uh, the uh, improvement of the the treatment of um, sickle cell in the country and so uh, we, so I'll, I'll stop at that at this point because I'm not the one being interviewed and just introduce uh, Bukola Bolarewa. So Bukola um, is the program's lead of the Sickle Cell Aid Foundation and, and the Sickle Cell Aid Foundation is, is made up of a, 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 a group of very interesting I don't, I don't call them in those days, I always say very um, young individual professionals, but you know, um, yeah, I, but uh, now I know that a, a couple of them are, are now um, married, have mothers, but I still say that they are a group of professionals with a great intention of uh, improving the, the landscape of sickle cell in, in Nigeria. Apart from that, she's also the founder of IMA Health. And uh, you know this this uh, initiative or this project she has uh, is involved in um, the um, distribution of blood. And now we'll get to the, re- the 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 relevance of that in um, in the treatment of sickle cell. But Bukola Bolarewa, um, welcome to the program. I know you also work in, but let's leave where you work. Um, you you do your nine to five for now because this is. Um, our focus for today. So welcome, Nicola. Thank you so much, Mrs. Olele. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, um, you know, before we started the show, we, we were discussing about a lot of things um, and including um, the fact that, um, it, it, and it's not something we are proud to say, but um, that sickle cell remains a that Nigeria remains the country with the largest uh, incidence of sickle cell in the in the world and that um you know well we still see that 150,000 uh, children are born every year with sickle cell uh, in nigeria right uh, yeah in nigeria 
uh, and, and die before the age of five. Uh, okay. But the sad thing is that we don't even, I mean, this is, if, if I remember that this is what we, seven years ago or even 10 years ago, this was the same statistics we were yeah. using. And obviously yeah. there are no issues around um, data. But can you give yeah. me a sense of what the, um, if the government, uh, you know, has done anything in terms of improvement of uh, of um, the policy and the landscape in the last 10 years? Or has this been largely a private sector um, or at least uh, a non-for-profit uh, initiative? Uh, have we been having that over the years? But yeah. what, what do you know that, um, what, what, what does the landscape look like right, right, right now? Yeah, so um, I'm sure, as you know, Mrs. Olili, unfortunately, it feels like in Nigeria, the health agenda is really not set um, by the government. And that's just because so much of the funding and the policies and the priorities um, of the healthcare sector are actually set overseas by either the multilateral organizations, by the big funders. Um, and that's just because Nigeria doesn't really prioritize healthcare. So when we think about the conditions that um, Nigeria prioritizes, the Nigerian government, it's communicable diseases, rightly so, right? Like it's, it's there's nothing wrong with um, prioritizing that. And then certain lifestyle non-communicable diseases, but um, sickle cell disease isn't really prioritized because it's a genetic disorder. And it's kind of seen as, okay, well, you can prevent it if you know your genotype and things like that. Um, you know, out of the data that you mentioned, um, apparently globally, 300,000 um, children are born annually with sickle cell disease and 150,000 of those are born in Nigeria. And this is the old data that we've been quoting from the from UNICEF. So it tells you that Nigeria is actually the sickle cell capital of the world. And if there should be a country driving sickle cell policy, if there should be a government that's putting sickle cell policy on the map, it should be Nigeria because we are the most affected, um, over 50% of, of all children and all cases of sickle cell um, are in Nigeria. And so for us over the last kind of 10 years that I've been working in the sickle cell space, I haven't really seen um, sickle cell become more of a priority you'll get any more attention any more funding any more you know fundraising and i remember after, during covid um when they were yeah i wanted of, i wanted to go into that yeah. covid bit yeah okay, go ahead go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, but i mean i remember that during that covid time and obviously covid was unprecedented globally um but seeing how all of a sudden the government realized that oh wow actually without a healthy population we can't actually do anything right and seeing all of a sudden that focus on the healthcare sector seeing the the kind of understanding all the things that we're lacking we can't make our own vaccines we don't have local production of pharmaceuticals we're not even talking about research um um and development yet so seeing that kind of drive it got me excited i won't lie i was like oh okay maybe we can finally start to get some attention in the healthcare space but as far as i've seen in the last kind of two years that attention has died again it's just like unfortunately healthcare as a whole just does not seem to be a priority and sickle cell disease being a genetic disease is even more at the bottom of the priority list Okay, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I mean, we, there's a there's a lot of talk about you know the minimalistic budget you know to healthcare, uh, which mm -hmm. we have in Nigeria. 
mm. and we, we know that there's been the um the fact that we fall behind the um agreed requirement because i know mm -hmm. a couple of uh, african leaders met okay. at some point and um, agreed that they were going to do at least if if i if i still remember my healthcare uh, conversations mm -hmm. i think 15 at least 15 percent or so okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah to healthcare which um um nigeria has never uh, you know uh, met in any way, shape, or form, and and so, but let's be kind to the government uh, and say that um, at least years back that I, that I know, um, a group of uh, stakeholders within the healthcare felt there was a need to um, pull together a guideline and to put pull together the protocol for the treatment, management, and treatment of uh, you know people living with sickle cell, um, and that framework. I, I remember was was yeah. very helpful because when we yeah. um, when we look at you know at that time West Africa and some countries in West Africa most countries actually in West Africa did not have that yeah if uh, yeah. only we were able to move forward you know beyond that because I know that you know at at some point this was now um, uh, adapted in some way um, into the like the West Africa, you know, framework uh, type of thing. But yes, you you're you're right about the fact that communicable diseases always sit, you know, seem to be more on the radar, um, yeah. you know, because you know, people are, you know, there's the immediate, um, there's 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 always this thing about uh, being being reactive. Uh, yeah. you know, in healthcare yeah. as opposed to, you know, yeah. having strategies priorities. that we can work with and priorities yeah. and strategic yeah. pri priorities around uh, non-communicable uh, non diseases. And yeah. so um, I just wanted to ask, um, uh, how did COVID affect yeah. the landscape, um, the, the treatment of people? What exactly did, and now I'm going more into specifics in the IMA Health, yeah. As it yeah. self foundation do um, yeah. during the period during COVID. Yeah, I mean, so again, like during that COVID period was one of the periods where I think we've received the most support we've ever gotten from different individuals, different organizations. What we did in the beginning when there were when there was the short lockdown in Nigeria was that we had all our beneficiary all our beneficiaries, we were delivering them um, packages with drugs, food, um, and everything that they needed to make sure that they would stay home. At that point, um, people with sickle cell were classified as one being one of the most vulnerable to COVID. Even in the UK, it was the same thing um, because we didn't know how sickle cell disease affects um, COVID affects sickle cell disease. And um, that particular year, we actually had a webinar with Professor Fran Pong. They had started a study to see how we had a number of warriors who got COVID. Um, but luckily from the data that was gotten over two years, it didn't seem like um, COVID affected people living with sickle cell any worse than regular populations. Um, so that was a good thing. Yeah, so that was a good thing actually. Um, but we continue to provide support to um, our warriors and then we give um, ongoing medication. We continue to kind of raise awareness about social distancing, staying home, trying to get people to not catch it as much as possible because we didn't know um, what was going to happen. And at that point, um, the, this idea of certain populations being more vulnerable than others was very prevalent, right? And people were willing to make concessions. So I remember um, a number of our beneficiaries who were employees were allowed to work from home at that point, while others had 
we're beginning to be told to go back into the office. But these are the kind of concessions that people like us at SCAF have been fighting for for a long time. So actually, COVID was good in that sense because it it um it allowed us to know that people can work from home, people can be productive if they don't have to make the long commute. So imagine how tiring it is. Let's use Lagos for example to commute for like an hour or two to work and back for a regular person. Now putting having sick cell disease, which is a chronic um, disease that causes a lot of pain and fatigue, having to do that just to earn your daily bread, it's so challenging. And so COVID was good because it allowed to, uh, to allow, allowed us to know that certain vulnerable populations should be shielded as we were told that time and, and should be given um, certain concessions. Those types of concessions are still what we're fighting for up until now for, for people living with sickle cell and, and trying to get employers, trying to get universities, NYC, all these different types of play, um, groups to know that, listen, we have certain groups of people in Nigeria who look fine in quote technically, because that's what I get a lot, right? Like someone like me living with sickle cell, they'll be like, oh, you look so fine. Yesterday, I was actually doing a drive yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and this man, I, I was leaving the drive. I was at the train station. I was wearing a shirt that said, give blood. And this man came and said, oh, do you give blood? I was like, no, I don't give blood. I receive blood because I have sickle cell. He was like, no, you don't have sickle cell. You look too beautiful to have sickle cell. I know someone that has sickle cell and they ha they're in a wheelchair or something like that. And you know, trying to, yeah, that's the problem with, with um, um, certain like types of conditions like us that we call invisible diseases, right? It's like you look mm. at someone and you judge them and you say, oh no, this person is fine. This person doesn't have a disability. Or maybe if they're in hospital, this person is exaggerating their pain. They're exaggerating mm. their condition because it doesn't show, you know, um, on your face. And so COVID had a lot of advantages for us because again, we we're able to kind of show, highlight like the different vulnerabilities that groups like ours have. Okay, great, great. I mean, can you give us um, more insights into Aima um, Health yeah. and Sickle Cell Aid Foundation? Um, yeah. I mean, we can start with Sickle Cell Aid Foundation and then, you know, move into Aima Health, um, the yeah. kinds of initiatives you have done um, since you, you started and yeah. uh, the support you have uh, provided to the community. Yeah, so um, Sickle Cell Aid Foundation was started in 2010 by my friend Inkechi. Um, she, all her siblings have sickle cell disease. And so she kind of came at it from that carer's perspective and understanding that, listen, with her socioeconomic background, it was such a struggle um, in the sense that they, they were financially comfortable, but they still spend so much on healthcare. And her kind of theory was like, if it's this tough for us, how do like, you know, people who are in the lowest socioeconomic brackets, how do they survive living with sickle cell? And so she started it, I joined her in, in 2011, and um, our mandate has really been to support people living with sickle cell at the bottom of the pyramid. Um, and we do that through different types of programs. So educational, like so, um, sponsoring their schools, we get people, different people to come and sponsor um, school fees and things like that. And then providing them with monthly medication. We also support with food as well, because as you know, nutrition is such a big part um, of it. And then we support with Absolutely. hospital bills. Um, so that's what we've been doing. Sickle Cell Aid Foundation has really been focused on supporting our beneficiaries. Um, and at the moment, we have about 400 beneficiaries spread across about seven states in Nigeria. Um, and I know that even for us, we have not gotten to really, really the bottom of the pyramid because the states that we're still operating in, uh, that we have our beneficiaries is still like Abuja, Lagos, Rivers, Kano. You know, those states are still 
like relatively okay what about the warriors in like yobe Brno, in all these kind of super hard to reach places who we because a lot of our communication is still like social media and things like that they will not have access to reach us you know so um we know that we still have a long way to go but in the kind of work of supporting people living with sickle cell we realized that um um getting blood was becoming like an increasing challenge so for people living with sickle cell part of the treatment is blood transfusions and that can be um, regular blood transfusions or that can be once in a while when you know you're super anemic or having a crisis and you need um, blood so it became a, a case of so many people around us kept coming to us and saying hey i need blood i'm having i need a transfusion i can't find blood and things like that and so we said, okay, let's um, come up with a database of voluntary blood donors in Nigeria because we couldn't find anything like that. And let's have this database. And anytime somebody needs blood, they can call us and we'll call up these people on our database and get them to go and donate um, to, to the patients. So we started, that was the initial premise. That's how we started. And right now we have over 4,000 um, voluntary donors on our database. But then we wow. quickly realized that um, Call, I, that calling people to come and donate is not the ideal situation. The ideal situation is that the blood banks should always have blood. They should always be blood available at any hospital at any given time. And so we started hosting blood drives and saying, okay, let's make sure that all the blood banks are always filled every month. So we started with just hosting blood drives irregularly in Abuja. Now we host three blood drives a month, one in Abuja, one in Kano, one in Lagos. And we make sure that um, we try to get at least 30 pints every month um, from our drives. And we also continue to register um, um, new donors. Recently, we've kind of moved as well into like the social enterprise space and started doing logistics for blood. So that's blood deliveries for hospitals, for patients. Um, and we're working with Lagos State Blood Transfusion Service as well to help, help them move their blood. So we have two bikes in Lagos, one bike in Abuja, and it's just for delivering blood and medicinal products, samples, things like that. And so we also realized, again, that part of the issue was that um, movement of blood. So basically, the way it works at the moment is that, say there's a patient that needs AB negative in Luth, right? There might be an AB negative blood in, say, Bagada, but there's no kind of communication to know what's available in in um, in another place. And so that patient is then scrambling around, oh, I need a donor, I need a donor. But meanwhile, there's blood available, it's already been screened. And so we've started working on that supply chain, logistics part of, of blood and, and medical samples. So yeah, that's kind of like a summary of, of the, what we do. That's a, that's a, a summary of a lot. <laughs> a summary of a lot. Well, you know, as we're speaking, because on this on this podcast, I've, um, I've I interviewed actually um, some uh, startup uh, that's called Health Biotics, and I okay. know that they've been in the business of uh, you know, blood distribution at some point. I know they are expanding into other areas. Just wondering if you know about them or if no. there are opportunities for synergies. Okay, so that's fine. I'm, I'm sure we can take that offline and yes. um, do the introductions and see how you can work uh, together because they were the one uh, the digital competition uh, that okay. was done by the u.s chamber and um, 
uh, last year they were, uh, you know, um, announced and given a gift at the at the event that was um, a part of the lineup of the African Leaders Summit that held in DC. So, uh, you know, that you know, so, so synergies are very important in 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 working. And yeah. I'll go, I'll talk about synergies later. You know, at a more um, like uh, African wide level because I yeah. know that you know that is critical. And you also yeah. had mentioned the uh, professor, late professor Frempong of uh, yeah. blessed memory. Uh, you yeah. know, obviously. Um, so so uh, just to uh, uh, find out about uh, or. Well, to our listeners, because some people may not know about sickle cell, um, maybe you, you could just, uh, because we're assuming um, that yeah. you, they know, can you give um, a sense or to the, listen, the, the, to the listeners what sickle cell is really about? Briefly, yeah, sure. Yeah, um, so sickle cell disease is a group of inherited blood conditions. Um, and it usually happens when there's a faulty gene um, that affects the hemoglobin and its production of red blood cells. So um, a normal person would have around red blood cells, but someone living with sickle cell would have um, red blood cells that are like sickle, like a banana shape, basically. And that basically, and um, the the that basically means that. They, um, oxygen doesn't flow properly through their body and they have what's called hemolysis, which is that it's constantly dying. So you have a lot of complications that come with it. And that's things like pain. And again, it's just because blood isn't flowing um, um, properly. It also comes with a host of complications. So for children, it can be things like strokes. It can be um, hips and they'll need to have their hips replaced. It can be leg ulcers. It can be It affects the eyes as well. So it's quite a chronic um, lifetime condition. You can never catch sickle cell disease. You're only ever born with it. And the way you're born with it is you inherit two faulty, in quotes, genes, one from the mom, one from the dad. So everybody's, everybody will have a genotype. So if you don't carry the sickle gene at all, your genotype will be AA. If you carry a variation of the sickle gene, you can be AS, you can be AC, and a, and, and a host of other variations. And then, then if the child inherits it from both parents, so let's say the parent is AS and the um the father is AS, the mother's AS, the child will then pick up, can pick up um, both S genes and then will be SS or SC or S beta thalassemia and any of the other um, variations. So it's quite a serious lifelong condition and it has um, unfortunately high morbidity, especially um, in childhood uh, in Africa. Part of the challenge with that is that children are not tested when they are born in Nigeria. Most people don't know their genotype when, um, when they are born, there's nobody that's testing to tell them that, oh, you either carry the traits or you carry the disease and allowing them to kind of manage their life effectively. So newborn screening is something that, you know, a lot of groups have been pushing for for years now. Fortunately, we still we still don't have that. OK, and, and, and even some states don't have that. Yeah, yeah. There's been, there's been a few pilots, and I know that there's a, a number of pilots going on at the moment, uh, but it's not something that's a statewide policy, um, unfortunately, that has been implemented properly. I think we can look to Ghana as an example of, of a country that's doing pretty well in that um, in that space. Um, so they've, they've started implementing newborn screenings in the big tertiary institutions. 
obviously in Africa, we still have the issue that a lot of people don't give birth in hospitals. So some children would get missed, but it's still good that at least even if we can say that all the children being born in hospitals in Nigeria are tested um, for their genotype, at least that will be a little progress. Yes, that would work. That would be most helpful. And yeah. I'm not sure how much this will cost us to have, um, uh, you know, to have this uh, this done. You know, yeah. I, I'm not sure. So I mean, again, I I do recall that um, in my past life, I I believe had pushed for that, even from the point of view of um, support from, uh, you know. Um, some pharma companies, you know, to 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 look at this as an opportunity yeah. in supporting healthcare in in Nigeria. So I, yeah. I don't know what it is about Nigeria, where uh, you know <laughs> other countries, um, you know, that are not that don't have really this um, high incidence are yeah. given those priorities, and uh, we are not. But I mean, again, that's a, a conversation for perhaps another day. One of the things you you talked about was the importance of nutrition. Um, yeah. So yeah, in in in, in the uh, management of uh, of sickle cell, um, yeah. I I know that. Um, what what have you done in this area? Because I let me not uh, put the words in your mouth. Let me know yeah. um, what you have done in this area because that is very critical. If you have the right nutrition, it reduces the incidence. Um, you know the crisis situation. You know the person a lot healthier. Uh, but tell me what. Uh, um, either sickle cell aid foundation or IMA health um, have done in this area? Yeah, so nutrition is very important for people living with sickle cell um, just because with us, um, exposure to different things causes crisis. So if it's too hot, if it's too cold, if you're dehydrated, if you're malnourished, it, it can trigger crisis and make your situation and complications worse. So part of what I noticed in this space was that um, there wasn't, um, a cookbook that was focused on Nigerian food. So I had seen a cookbook or two focused on uh, Britain and America for sickle cell, people living with sickle cell, especially for parents who are caring for children living with sickle cell. So the idea actually came about when um, I organized um, a conference um, for parents who had children with sickle cell on nutrition at the Sickle Cell Foundation in, in Lagos. And so a lot of parents came up to me and they, you know, they said the same thing. Oh, you look so good. You look so healthy. How are you, you know, coping? How, how are you eating? What are you eating? How am I, how can I get my kids to eat um, better? And so the idea came, I was like, you know what, actually, let me put this together and, and um, write a cookbook. So I worked with a number of chefs, um, explained to them what sickle cell is, what are the key ingredients, key nutrients that most um, people living with sickle cell are deficient in, um, and asked them to contribute recipes. And I know Mrs. Olele, you owe us a recipe as well that we, we need to put, because we want to do another, a second version. Um, so we, we want, um, I wanted the food to be number one, cheap, accessible, easy to make, and then to use our local ingredients, right? Because there's no point um, saying that, oh, you want to do a cookbook, but then you put like expensive things that most people might not have access to. Um, and so you just focus this on local things, ugu, all the fresh um, leaves that we have in Nigeria, how you can incorporate them into your diet and make them um, delicious. 
So um, I've become really, really passionate about nutrition. And that's not to say that I'm perfect. I, I do love a bit of junk food, <laughs> you know, once in a Everybody while. Everybody does but... once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> once in a while. But it's just the right balance, right? Exactly. <laughs> Having that right balance of just like, um, and then also trying to avoid highly processed food. I think that's even more of an issue in, in developed countries. But even in Nigeria, I noticed that a lot of people like they eat so so we have these two warrior girls um that have been with us since they were like two years old they're now about nine years old and their mom makes them noodles every day like indomie oh, every day oh. and and i we just had to be like listen i understand that you're busy like you're a single mom you don't have time to be making like super complex meals um but the amount of salt in a lot of these packaged noodles is actually not healthy especially for kids like having noodles once in a while i'm partial to noodles once in a while as well but having noodles every day when they get back from school is terrible like you need to and then you know I also didn't like sometimes it feels like you're guilt tripping them because obviously she has a lot on her mind, like, you know, trying to take care of the kids and everything. But even when the kids are sick in hospital and she brings them food in a cooler, it's noodles. And we're just like, no, no, no. At this point, like, I'm sorry, we have to just like talk no. to you about this, you know. So, so yes, even in Nigeria now, there is that kind of move towards more highly processed um, food, soup, foods that are like packaged and as opposed to cooking things from scratch. Um, and so for me, it's like we can make our food from scratch without it being super complex. I understand like when I watch my mom, so my mom loves to cook, but when she makes FRIRO, it takes two days because she, from the first day, she's like boiling the meat, then frying the meat. And I'm just like, nobody has time for this. But there is a way you can make like healthy food, like spinach, vegetables, pretty quickly and try and incorporate it into your diet um, daily. And so I've become really, really passionate and like a big nutrition advocate for, for sickle cell warriors. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a nutrition advocate for a lot of uh, things. Yes, I know yeah. you are. And, and, you know, interestingly, you know, I, if, when I, when I, when I received, when I got the book, the, um, the nutrition, the book, the menu book of, um, that, that you just shared, I found out that it was, I mean, not just for people with uh, sickle cell, but it, the, 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 I mean, I would really recommend people to um, see that uh, and use it because the, the, the food is also very tasty. So it's not just yeah. about eating something for the sake of health, but also yeah. eating something that's um, healthy delicious. and delicious. So, 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 and I, I think, I think it's something that we could also consider uh, in terms, and, and you know, these are opportunities to leverage certain restaurants um, so that they incorporate the the this um, uh, the the menu into into uh, the, the, the yeah. food, and then perhaps have um, some of the uh, outlets that yeah. uh, typically sell um processed food or yeah um, you know the the, the 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 i don't want to call them junk um yeah. to consider having that in their menu and you know perhaps introducing healthy lifestyles overall um for yeah. people in nigeria because as we just noted nutrition is is critical um yeah even more critical I for people living with sickle cell yeah 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 go ahead <laughs> no sorry something i've noticed in, in nigeria as well apart from the like even eating processed food food that is cooked freshly 
is so there's so much salt and condiments like that's something that i've noticed is getting worse i remember growing up um it was just like maybe a bit of maggie and then you know a lot of the seasoning was ginger garlic you know a lot of the like local onions uh, but now it's just like seasoning i remember when i went this last time i was in nigeria i went out to eat in a couple of like eateries and i was just like what's going on with the salt content <laughs> like i don't remember it being this bad <laughs> but yeah that's also something that i think the whole population needs to watch not just people living with sickle cell because these are the things that cause the lifestyle diseases later on in life absolutely absolutely and a lot, a lot of the the, the non-communicable diseases as well yeah yes. so uh i would i would move from there to 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 actually look at uh, collaboration because yes. uh, collaboration in country across the across uh, countries in the continent um, are very helpful to yes. um uh improve the landscape so yeah. can you talk about some of the collaborations um we've had in country uh yeah. with the different stakeholders uh yeah. I, I i know that at some point we um like when we're talking about and that's way back about the the guideline um we're also looking at how we could get people to um organizations to support the um understanding around implementation because it's just one it's one thing to have guidelines it's another thing to for doctors to know that this is how um you know uh, people living with sickle cell are treated um yeah. you know or are managed so yeah. and, and you know in some cases uh, i i know um certain people uh, within within your group that have been in touch with that shared ones that um, you know sometimes they go to hospital and they know because they've you know gone through that experience that they need um they need blood and then yeah. the doctors are saying no you don't or oh you know i'm in serious pain i need a mm -hmm. painkiller yeah mm -hmm. we do know that you know people get um at some point uh um, you know it becomes a bit of a challenge uh, for mm -hmm. uh, consistent use of painkillers but they begin to make them feel uh, as drug addicts or even yeah. as vampires because yeah. the doctors yeah. don't know so yeah. um yeah so there's that need for collaboration what have what have have we seen um from not necessarily government uh and yeah. private sector but private sector uh private yeah. sector collaboration in country and also um across the continent yeah this is one thing that i would say that over the last 10 years of working in the sickle cell space has greatly improved um i think that a lot of people have realized that working in silos is not working it's not getting um sickle cell at the top of the agenda and i've personally been part of a lot of uh, groups that have been working on collaboration so part of what i do as well is i'm one of the co-chairs of the global issues working group for the american society of hematology and so the american society of hematology pulls together um, different organizations from around the world working in sickle cell that's on a global um space on a nigeria level i'm also part of the coalition of sickle cell NGOs and we do more around advocacy speaking with one voice so a couple of years ago about three years ago now there was an attempt to have a bill on sickle cell disease and um, the bill had some punitive measures so for example punishments for people who were um, getting married without genotype testing and then you know saying that people who got married with um, who were both AS, if they got married 
their children will not have will not be able to use government hospitals some ridiculous things were in the bill um and so we came together as one voice and started um working with a legislative expert on how we can make our objections to the bill known elma was at the um two hearings in abuja um for scap and somebody from the coalition as well um, and we were able to kind of kill all those provisions um, of the bill. I think with legislating on sickle cell disease, there isn't really kind of, they're not really clear yet on what they want to do. So it's, the bills have just been in limbo for so long. But working together was, that that particular thing was very good rallying points for all sickle cell NGOs because it was one thing we could collectively come together and say, we don't want this, like this is not going to help um, um, the cause. And so I've seen personally that a lot of um a lot more work has gone into collaboration covid was also a good catalyst for that as well because it, it became a case of oh i'm supporting our beneficiaries with with certain things for covid but then we reached out to a number of other successful ngos and said hey you know if you guys also have beneficiaries that need support we're happy to put them on our list so it really worked in it really works better when everyone comes together um on the african um scene as well there's um a, a number of working groups as well working on sickle cell space newborn screening um and trying to put that more on the agenda um for different countries um so i think i think we're in a good place now i just hope that it continues and then it translates to results because I think sometimes the frustration with collaboration it seems like you're working, you know, a lot and you're not really seeing, you know, the impact come as quickly as as we would like. But as I'm sure you know, a lot of the work that we do now might not reap results for another, you know, <laughs> maybe another mm -hmm. 10, 30 years. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It, it, so, so I mean, we, we, you mentioned Professor Frempong. Um, yeah. He's, he was, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it, I'll call him a, a warrior in, 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 yeah. in a way that um, uh, we don't typically use, but yes, in the health, you know, in the treatment and management of sickle cell globally. Um, what, what, how do we, how do we fill the gap <laughs> that he has left? Because I know, mm -hmm. um, you know, the first my first contact with him and the passion he exuded mm -hmm. around, you know, uh, about around uh, supporting uh, the the sickle cell community community yeah. in the world, you know, yeah. is huge. Do, do we have, uh, you know, uh, people in healthcare who? Um, we, 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 we can't really fill that gap because obviously mm -hmm. there's a huge gap because our friend Pong uh, left. Yeah, honestly, like, I don't know if anyone can fill that gap. I think that honestly, like he was there for a purpose, right? He was there to put sickle cell on the map. And I feel like it's our responsibility as the younger ones in quotes, like you like to say, even though I'm, I'm 35 now, so I'm not that young, but like it, it's up to us to like, carry on with the work that he did i think that he's like in yoruba they'll say you do your race up to a certain point and then it's left to you kind of pass on the baton to the others and then they have to carry on and it's up to us to kind of carry on and make sure that a lot of the work and the legacy that he's leaving behind um is not going to is not going to kind of die and i don't think it will i think that there's a lot of really you know amazing people i'm sure you know julie mccarney working in this space like mm -hmm. that, uh, in Tanzania, exactly. We have our own Professor Nodu as well, who's been working yes. in space 
for a while. So, so there are a lot of people I think that are going to keep on um, like the mission. But I think that what he's done is that he's gotten us to this point, right? He's gotten us to the point where like sickle cell is on the map, like big. I mean, the kind of collaborations he was doing with like the, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention companies, but like big pharmaceutical companies um, have finally kind of, you know, put some money behind um, sickle cell research. And we are now at, at a place where Africa itself is being at the forefront of the research, right? Because so much, so, so, so many times it's like the research is done abroad and then it's kind of like transplanted here to see how it will work. But then the research for, for us and the kind of situations that we have have to come, have to be homegrown, right? We have to be doing all the studies and publishing and doing all the work that needs to do from a scientific perspective. Then people like us in the advocacy space as well have to be um, kind of pushing for homegrown remedies for our own people. And I think that having someone like him be that kind of focal point has really elevated us and it's then up to us to elevate it to to the next level so yeah i i i'm i don't think we're getting another professor yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> but yeah you 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 talked about research and yeah. uh yes so yeah but well i also know that his wife um, obviously she's i know she's not um, in the medical space but i i know she also has a lot of passion um yeah. I, I don't know i don't know how, you know but i mean again it's something we can follow about outside of this um, yeah this this podcast so um you mentioned research yeah and, and also one of the things we mentioned at the beginning is the fact that the obsolete uh data we data. have yeah it's, it's not helpful um yeah. in, in the in the management of sickle cell uh yeah. what can one do especially now that data has become like I mean, like, yeah. the, new, the new oil um, um yeah so how are we able to build data uh within uh, the sickle cell world in the continent yeah uh, and how are we able to leverage, uh, you know, data to kind of uh, uh, building funding into into the continent? Um, yeah. You know, so I mean, these are two questions, but I I I, yeah, I trust you're able to kind of run yeah. through through them. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, data is one of those things that really has to come from the government. Like, if I even ask you now, Mrs. Ulele, how many Nigerians are there? We don't know. How, how many Nigerians between the age of 60 to 80 are there? We don't know. How many Nigerians are living with sickle cell? We don't know. Like sickles, because I feel like we've just been so, we've turned like population data into a political thing. It's then difficult to then obviously then break down the data into like the various types of segments that we need to have in order to be able to create the types of policies. So if we know that, for example, the percentage of people living in sickle cell has increased from 1% in you know, 1960 to now 5% in 2023, then we know that we're seeing year on year increase in, in sickle cell births, which means all the advocacy around that we're doing isn't working. But now we don't even know, we can't even measure, really. Um, we can only do like small sample sizes, which is what SCAF has done in the past. So we did, um, we've done various types of surveys on the education around sickle cell disease in various states um, and try to see whether year on year there's more increase. And I think that for them right now, maybe they don't see the value in data, or maybe they're just, they're just overwhelmed with the amount of things that they need to do. 
Um, so yeah, it's just one of those things that I'm not really sure I've I've seen any progress, and I'm not really sure that there's going to be any progress in in terms of like the data for for just everything. Um, <laughs> well, well, let's be hopeful. Um, let's, be hopeful. let's be hopeful we're because at least I know that I know that we are going to have we we are hopefully going to have census in the, in the country. Um, you know this uh, year, right? This, this year. year, fingers crossed. <laughs> this year or next year? No, it, I, I I I thought we said this year, but again, you know, uh, we, we we're not sure. Um, yeah, maybe maybe things have changed. But I know that you know we have been it's been touted you know for this mm. year at some point. Uh, yeah, uh, you know there's so much I'd I'd like to ask you. Um, there's so much I'd like to ask. Uh, you know, like the potential opportunities, what can leverage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, in, yeah. in, in and I think scarf, you asked me about. Sorry, I think, really, you ahead, asked about research, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and and I think again that's another place that we're really lacking and. For me, the, the flaw with research in Nigeria actually has to be placed with the universities. In most other countries, universities are at the forefront of all, all types of research. I don't personally see any kind of research coming out um, of Nigerian universities on sickle cell disease generally and on like, you know, science, R&D, you know, STEM as a whole, right? And I think that for me, that's where if I think I would love to kind of end up as some kind of lecturer or something um, and just be like, you know, we need homegrown research. We need, you know, students in other universities are the ones developing so much of the of the, the AI, the technology, the science, the drugs that that um, the world is looking to. So for me, that one, I'm not I don't think I'm blaming Nigerian government. I think it's the universities that we're just not doing enough um, research and development. Wow, there's so much to talk about, but um, yeah. it looks like we're running out of time. Yeah. But, 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 but yeah, but, but you know, um, over, overall, uh, the issues around policy, collaboration, um, research, you know, running into data, having a uh, coalition from private sector and uh, with 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 government, you know, having setting the right framework to to yeah. uh, pull this together, as well as you know, overall, you know, just kind of leveraging, um, putting everything together in the right box to ensure that um, the the issues around treat the treatment management and treatment of sickle cell is addressed yeah. um yeah. all remain critical uh to yeah. improve the overall uh, ecosystem uh, you know i i just I, I wish we could continue but obviously we've run out of time because i thank you so much for making our time to join us <laughs> and i have yes, to thank was... you for your for your continued support for your continued passion <laughs> on sickle cell on blood donation and ngos <laughs> you're one of the first people that supported us when we were just like 20 somethings trying to figure out what we were doing so uh, yeah well i mean it's it's yeah it's 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 uh it's been uh, a very interesting uh, surgeon and I really wish we could we can do more uh, you know in that area because there's a lot private sector can can do um, and it's not just about sponsorships uh, or this there, there are loads and loads of things that can happen and I see the innovation you know things around uh, the, the cookbook for me I think that's very, very interesting um, you know having a competition among um, uh, uh, you know 
chefs and, and a lot yeah. of great things you have done um you know and so i also would like to thank you for that those things you've done um uh, selfless i must say and uh, we we look forward to a lot more um as we and it, and, and, I, and i don't want it to be like uh, a monthly thing oh yes 19th of june or you know people begin to carry out activities it has to be year on year um every yeah, yeah, it's it has to be continuous. It has to be strategic, and and not um, and not uh, only when there are issues, everybody just just keeps you know kind of running over themselves, keep running over themselves to just get things done. So I would say thank you and to our listeners out there. Um, if there are opportunities you want to leverage with uh, Mima Health or Simple Cell Aid Foundation, please by all means. Um, uh, you can reach out to us and we can reach out to um, Bukola and her team, um, you know, to, to, to get things done. So um, we have ended the podcast. Um, so always follow us on our social media platforms, AB, Council on the Score, Mandy, on SoundCloud and every other platform that uh, you can reach out to us. Thank you for listening.